Hello, and welcome to Our Paths Podcasts. My name is Nigel Campbell. My pronouns are he, him, and I am currently on occupied Lenape land in Harlem, New York City. Shortly, you'll be listening to a very candid conversation I had with my dear friend and artistic colleague, Jamal Callender, through Instagram Live on June 5th, 2020, about race and racism from the lens of our experience as international African-American artists working and living abroad and traveling the world. African-American artists abroad, race and racism, stemmed from events in early summer of 2020 when we once again watched an unarmed black man, George Floyd, murdered at the hands of a police officer. This event reignited a global conversation about systemic racism in America. But having both lived abroad, Jamal and I felt that far too often the conversation about race and racism is limited to the USA. In fact, many of our white European colleagues are under the false impression that racism is solely an American disease. It is important to name that Europeans are the authors of white supremacy, and countries like the UK, Holland, Spain, Portugal, and Belgium built their wealth on the backs of enslaved Africans. Racism is a global pandemic, and artists of African descent live with its violence daily. This conversation turned into a podcast highlighting Jamal's experience. There was no script, just a commitment to having a candid conversation. We felt it was important to share how we have had to navigate a world that often doesn't value or undervalues black life and by extension, black artists. Our Paths was created in part through Gibney Company's Moving Toward Justice Fellowship Program with support by the Bay and Paul Foundations with additional support from Andrew A. Davis, a trustee of the Shelby Cullum Davis Charitable Fund. Thank you for joining today. We invite you to listen in and take moments to breathe throughout this experience. Hey guys, how's it going? This is just going to be us going for it. But I wanted to start this by just um, saying something that uh, really touches me. Um, uh, James Baldwin once said that not everything faced can be changed, but nothing that is changed, it nothing can change until it's faced. And that is very important because we're at a place, we're at a moment right now where people finally woke up. They finally woke up and they said, wow, this is something that's happening. It's, they watched a video of a man being lynched, being murdered, being slaughtered by people who are supposed to protect us. And when we don't have those people protecting us, that creates everything that we're seeing now. But this is not the first time. This is not the second time, the 12th time, the 11th time, the 100,000th time, the 2 millionth time. This has happened constantly for over 400 years and we're at a place now where welcome to people who are now um here to take part and to understand it but um you're late and i've been dealing with this for so long and before we really really dive in i just want to say one of our teachers uh, jamil Gaines. hi jamil if you're out there he would always say um, to us when we're trying to when he's trying to say something to us and educate us and to be real with us be 100 he would say this is not a beat down this is a lift up this is a moment for us to this is a moment for us to open our ears open our, our hearts and don't take it as if some don't take it as a defense don't be defensive be open and to actually hear and to listen so um that's it and then we hope that we will be able to have um, some questions that we can take and then we can engage in that way as well. I was telling Jordy today was not as easier as the past two days, you know, like, you know, getting myself back onto the grind of things has been 
difficult, but then looking forward to this, I was really nervous. Um, I'm still really nervous. You know, just, I mean, yeah. speaking, speaking out your truth in a way that um, can be a great resource for people is very important. But at the same time, you're putting yourself out there. And the things, the things that, you know, we want to talk about are things that are, I'm in it, you know, I'm in it in, I mean, first of all, we've had so many people um, resharing and looking at our posts and are hungry to know what, what our perspective is. Um, so those who might not know us, maybe we can just do a brief introduction of who we are. Um, first, I want to say on the offset, I am thinking of everyone because we are in so many yeah there's just so much going on in the world right now we're still in COVID-19 um we're still um yeah people are, we have so many people who have lost their lives to this um unknown thing that we're still trying to figure out and at the same time we have another tragic event where multiple lives were taken without excuse no reason for it to happen and that's what brought us up here. So I'll just start for those who don't know me. My name is Jamal Callender. I am from the U.S. I, this sounds really weird. Um, my, both my parents are from Barbados. So I'm a first generation American um, coming here. And I am currently living in Mannheim, Germany. I've been here for five years. Um, I am also the founder of Barbados Dance Project, which um, its mission is to educate, collaborate, and engage with the Barbadian community through movement. I created that in 2014. Um, and yeah, that's just a rough, and I'm tired. And that's a rough um, kind of situation of who I am. Yeah. So um, I wanted to say one of the main reasons why I felt I was in a place where I wasn't home. I was here in uh, in Mannheim and seeing everything happening and seeing um, all the outcry. I felt it was very important to say something, but it took me a really, really long time. Um, a lot of people also, I know, it took a really, really long time for them to come to a place where they were able to articulate and say something. And I had a lot of people reach out to me and ask me if I'm okay or, you know, I'm here for you, I'm here for you, I'm here for you. And how do I say this in a way that's constructive? I feel like here, especially living here in Europe, um, I haven't had that support. And it's unfortunate that it came to a point that we had to see someone die for me to get that kind of feedback from people. Um, so I thought it was very important for me to reach out to say something at a certain point when I was ready. I'm not sure if I am ready because like I was saying, um, I'm in a position where I'm still here. So it was very important for me at some point to say something to articulate how I felt, to articulate my experience because my, my experience, I have not shared with people. I've shared with my close friends. I haven't shared everything with my family, things that um, have uh, affected me in a way that I had to make drastic changes. And we have to also realize that when you see someone and you think that they're strong, you claim that they're strong, but you never know what someone's going through. You never know what someone's going through when they go home when they cry because of the amount of things that they hear about them in their workspace, the space that they hold so sacred. And I will be really, really honest. Um, I've been working here for the past five years um, as a dancer in the company. And I will say that 30% of the reason why I've decided to leave where I am is because of the discrimination, is because of the, uh, yeah, it, it, I'm saying it out loud because I haven't said it because I've masked it with so many different things. I've masked it with, because I'm also in a long distance relationship with my husband. I masked it to say, you know what, it's time for me to go back to be with my husband. I masked it to say, you know, maybe 
I can do something else. Maybe dance is over for me. I was about to quit dance because of situations that have arised here that I've tried very hard to go to certain people, people who have power, people who are supposed to protect me. I've tried to go to those people and say to them, sorry, I'm about to cry, and say to them that there are things happening to me when I'm here and nothing is being changed. I have colleagues who will say things and act in certain ways towards the only black man in the room. How goddamn strong do I have to be for especially the past two years for someone to treat you a certain way and you are trying to say something and they refuse to acknowledge it. What they acknowledge it is with it can't be that way. I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure they're just young, you know, don't take it so personally. I am constantly in this uh, space with these things. And now that we're in a place where we're saying Black Lives Matter, I stand in solidarity. How dare you say that you're standing in solidarity when the fact of the matter is, is that me as a black man, me being in the space, the way that you have treated me is something that you cannot then go and type, I support Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. It is, it, it's what really propelled me to, I said, no, I have to say something because there's no way that I can be in a space where you can, like you do normally pretend and smile in one instance and then be a certain way in the other way. It's not fair, it's not right, it's it's hurtful. I, I cry so many times these past two years. I have every night, um, I, it's just been so much that you know, you, you get to a place where you don't know what's up and what's down. And you try to articulate this to people and you try to say this to people, like I said, who are in positions of power and there is no change. There's no change at all. Sorry, it's, it's, it's taken me a really, really long time. And I had, to, um, I had to say to myself, I gave myself a time frame. I said, I have to get out. But again, the kind of person I am, I won't quit on something. I won't quit on something that I committed to. So I don't simply just say, I'm leaving. I say, you know what, I'm going to commit to this because I'm a professional. I'm here for my job. I'm here because, I, and this is the other part, I love what I do. I love being on stage. And when it comes to a point where you are even attacked, you feel like you're being attacked at the core of what you do. When you are on stage and someone tries to rob that from you, from it's just the most unbearable thing that you could ever imagine. Um, and a part, and this is the other thing, I'm here, I'm here in real time. There might be consequences for the things that I say because we're in a society where everyone wants to look like they are perfect. Everyone wants to look as if they are, they are, they are the angels and they, they do nothing wrong. They say nothing wrong. But I'm just going to share an instance that happened, and I'm going to be holistic about it and keep it 100. Um, there was a piece that we were doing, and I was supposed to go. It was a group piece, supposed to be on stage, and the characters were supposed to look um, old, like they were like centuries old. So uh, the makeup requirement for that was to wear uh, all white makeup. So all the dancers wore white makeup, fine. I was hoping that would not be the case for me. I was praying, I was like, I saw the pictures of the, um, the, the examples in the past and I was like, okay, I'm sure for me they're gonna find something else. And I get uh, to the Masca where they do our makeup, for those who don't know, some, we have Masca here in Europe where they actually do your makeup. Um, and they proceeded to start to put white makeup on my face. And I backed up and I said, what are you doing? Like, we have to put this on your face. This is what we were told to do. And I was like, who told you to do that? This is what we, and they were, they were doing their job. Everyone was doing their job, but no one at one, no point said, wait a minute. This is a person of color. You cannot put white makeup on this person. So I said, I'm not going on stage with that makeup. I refuse to. So I went on stage. This is during like a tech rehearsal. And we're getting ready, and I'm already like, 
again, I'm having to find a way to um, go on stage, perform, and not let this show. But I can't hide it. I can't hide it because the stage is the one place that is like my sanctuary. And for some reason, I, yeah, I, 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 so I go on stage and another person comes to me and says, why are you not in your makeup? And I said, I, I couldn't even answer. I said, well, what do you mean? And the person was saying, well, everyone's in their white makeup. And I, I almost lost it. I was like, do you look at them and you look at me? There's no way that I can wear that. I would look like a clown. Okay, fine. And then the, then the conversation was, well, we're taking pictures. We were, it was a concern about every effing thing except the fact that there was no point that someone said, stop. This, is, this can't happen. So then we had to go do the tech. We proceeded to do the tech. And I remember sitting, getting ready, and I was crying. Nigel, I've never experienced this where I am crying on stage because at that moment... I lost all faith in everything. I was like, the one place that I show up to that is my, is my sanctuary, is the place where I give everything, that has just been robbed from me. So we start, we start, and I'm trying to be professional at the same time. I'm trying to just go for it and be professional. And it was a, at a certain point where I could not go on anymore. And I literally crawled off stage. I crawled off stage and I, I just could not, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't. I, I, I just wanted to go. I, that day, I wanted to quit. I wanted to come home. I wanted to be with my family and my friends because it was just to a point where I just, I had no support. And even before then, when I would have all this stuff happening at work and I would just soak it in, I would just take it, take it, take it. And no one's ever there to support me because they just see me as a person who is just able to take it because I suck, I take, I digest it, I take it, I take it. And no one's ever there to say stop. No one's ever there to support. No one's there actually being an ally. So how dare you now come on here when someone's dead and that makes you say that you want to be an ally. You are not an ally. You're not in solidarity. You're not because this black person who's here at least for the past two years, there have been people I work with who have said vile things. And then at the same time, want to smile in my goddamn face. I cannot do it. And then make me seem like I am the bad person here. I cannot do it. I cannot show up. I, I, I told my husband, I said, I cannot be here. I almost quit dancing. Something that I've loved to do my entire life. I almost quit. I said, it's enough. I don't want to do it anymore. Because what space am I actually going to be in that will support me? If this, when I am in this space, and I'm with people who say they're liberal, who say that they are about loving everything, they love the, they want to talk about climate change, they want to talk about animals, free rights for animals, this, that, and the fourth, but you have a black man in your space, and you do not even blink or even say anything to make change. You just don't. And this has started way before. Um, this happens way before I moved to Europe. So this experience isn't just. Um, I think. I think uh, what I've learned, or what I lot, of, I hear a lot of times, is that people say this is an American thing. This is something that happens in America, um, and it's crazy to me because slavery, the enslavement of black people, people being robbed, robbed from a continent and brought over to a whole new continent happened because Europeans went there and stole them. This happened way before um, America was even birthed or born or anything to that construct. This is a year, there were the Dutch, the Portuguese, the French, the English, um, in the French, they all had ships going to Africa and stealing people and bringing them to the Americas so that they can crop and buy, take things. And then it went back to Europe to sell for goods and make profit. So money has um, 
African slaves were taken and Europe has has benefited from that in many, many large ways. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm just all over the place and um, I lost Nigel. I'm so sorry because I really wish that you guys could hear his perspective as well. Um, but I, I really just wanted to... Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that there's so much happening and there's so much within for dance because first of all let's let's talk about something else so for the dance world we have limited representation of black bodies um this is in the u.s this is also in europe as well even more so we have even less representation for black women i cannot count the amount of black i don't i don't see them i do not see them i have I'm lucky and very fortunate to have um, one black female dancer here in my company. Um, she's been off on maternity leave, but I have her here and I don't even, I cannot speak for her. I cannot speak for her experience, but I know that we have held each other so many times crying to each other for the things that happen. And I'm just going to share one. Um, this is how I want to help people understand about white privilege and how you are privileged. So take hair, for example. Dancers in the company are able to show up to their mascot and mascot's able to do their hair for them. This is all around for everyone. Um, they do your hair, they do your makeup, and you're good to go. A person of color, a black woman, who's doing her hair? So then what happens? She has to do her hair herself. And I have grown up with uh, my mother, my amazing mom, and two amazing sisters. And I see the process it takes for them to do their hair. I see the process it takes for them to do their hair. It doesn't take 20 minutes. It doesn't take an hour. It takes a very, very long time. So when that woman has to, she has her rehearsal, she has her class, she gets ready for a show, she has a four-hour break. In that four-hour break, instead of resting, getting herself prepared. She is doing her hair already before she's even able to go onto the stage. Um, that's just something I wanted to share. Um, so I think it's also important to understand that there is trauma on trauma on trauma on trauma on trauma um, that I experience, that I face, that I deal with on a regular basis. Um, and there's no outlet for me. There's no, there's no therapist here that I can talk to. I can talk to my mom, I can talk to my dad, I can talk to my best friends, but they're also going through the same exact trauma that I'm going through. And even my friends here who are um, Black, they're also going through the same things as well. Um, so for example, one morning I was um, at the gym and I was leaving the gym and I was going to the theater to prepare for tech. We had a class early in the morning and I get on the tram. It's only one stop, but I decided to take the tram because it gets me there in two minutes versus a seven minute walk. And before the, the door closed, I saw a woman, a black woman running with um, a stroller. So I put my hand out really fast to like let her in because she's literally right there. And she gets in. And there's a guy standing next to both of us and he starts yelling and screaming and cursing I um, mean he's saying this in German and then in English he says you guys should go back to Africa you don't deserve to be here and I'm I, I'm shocked I'm at a I'm at a place where I don't know how to respond and this ride is only but two minutes long max am I gonna go and have a whole conversation with him about all I'm not I'm not gonna do it. Does it affect me? Absolutely. So then I immediately have to go to work. I have to go start my day. I have to go and act as if nothing's wrong, everything's okay. Um, I have to act as if, um, yeah, nothing's bothering me. I have to put on my, my mask. I have to put on my visors and I have to be like this. I have to be like this. And 
this this is just this is just number I can pull the number out of my hat number one fifty two of the things that happen during a day with me um, dancing and living here in Europe um, and it's really really difficult it's difficult because it's I'm already under so many so much pressure as as a normal human being as a normal dancer our art our, our what we do is already a lot of pressure put on top of that all of the bs that i have to face every day that i just have to soak up and i have to um let be um at, at work i think it's it's as i said it's even worse because it's the place that i thought i thought that was the building that was the environment that was the could be the most supportive for me and what I've learned is that it's the place that's the most destructive for me. I would come home and I would cry for hours. Um, it got to a point where I had to figure out a way to um, cope and make myself keep going and propelling. So what I do is I listen to music. Um, I listen to music. I listen to different things and I always have my headphones on I always have my uh, music on to get me through the day and there was one time where uh, a dancer in the company we were having a meeting and they I think my sister posted something about having headphones on and I shared it and this person started to attack me basically how you you don't like us you don't do this and that you keep your music on why are you talking about us and again you're you're attacking something that you do not even know you don't even know why i'm doing you don't even care to know why i'm doing it but you 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 start to attack and then everyone started to like it was almost like a attack jamal moment and to be very clear i'm a very i was a very open and vocal person when something is not right i speak out but it got to a point, especially the past two years, being in this company where every time I would speak out, I would sense the backlash and I couldn't understand where it came from. Um, I knew where it came from, but I would try, I would try to find different ways of um, understanding where this comes from, understanding why people would treat someone this way, a human. And I, I want to talk about the human aspect for a second because a lot of people were also um, raised with this idea that we are all human and we should treat people like they're human. Granted, I accept that. I believe in that. I, that is something I wish would be real. But in this world, it is not real. It is not real. So to parents, to other friends to say, yeah, we're all human, I say... I look at it this way. When you are telling someone the ingredients to um, a cake, you don't simply just say, cake has flour in it. You give more details, you give more nuances, you give more information, you give, you have to put this much of this, this much of that, it adds this more and forth. So to just simply say we're all human, really, um, really, uh, you forget the rest of the things. And I think you need to start saying we're all human, but through time and through history, even at this moment, we have people who have been marginalized, who have been who are left who have been treated as if they're less than. And this is not just going to people of color, black people. This is going to any minority group who is around. Um, they're not treated as if they're human. In fact, it was a German uh, philosopher who uh, said that black people are ugly, they lack um, emotion, they don't have any vices or virtues, um, they, uh, what else did he say? I can't remember what else he said. But he said many other things about the black, pe the black person. And he also said that the white person was the most beautiful person. Um... Gosh, what else? What, uh, there's, there's, there's so much that I can't even um, kind of put into space because it's like every day there's something else. And I will be very honest, during this COVID uh, period of not being in the theater, it has been the best time for me here. 
Um, I'm able to breathe. I'm, I'm not as stressed. I'm not as angry at home anymore. I'm not crying every night. Um, I'm able to, I'm, I'm at a certain place where I'm more happy, I'm free, and I'm content. Um, I even talked to people in the company, um, co-workers, and they would say to me, Jamal, I don't know how you're able to do it. I, I admire your strength. I admire how strong you are, how you don't let people break you. Because, and they would say, because th these people, these individuals that I work with are trying to break you. And I would, it, I would laugh it up and like, yeah, you know, I just have to show up. I have to do it. But people don't, do not know that I am crying. I'm literally crying. I am, I, you know, there was one situation that happened that of course I told my best friends and my best friends, they're so amazing. They all sent me this amazing toy, toy, toy gift from New York, from LA, from all over, just making sure that they know that I'm loved, that I'm here, that I'm, I'm a value and I'm appreciated. Um, I think I, I wanted to talk a little bit because Nigel also has a very unique story and I can kind of summarize it a little bit, but I can't give so much of a detail because it was his truth. He was living in, he's lived in Germany, um, in Starbrücken, but he also lived in Sweden and he danced for a dance company there. And he has, um, he has talked horror stories about living in Sweden, how Monday through Friday, they were very nice, pleasant people in the neighborhood. But then on the weekend, they became belligerent. They became violent. Um, he even was assaulted. Um, he's been told to go back to Somalia. Um, he has had a really, really rough experience there as well. And what brought him back to New York was seeing all the violence happening, seeing the death, seeing at that time it was Eric Gardner when he passed away and there was a march in December. And I remember Nigel off the airport came straight to my apartment. We hugged and we took our um, posters and we went down downtown and um, we protested. And that was the start. And then talking to him and, you know, he was like, I, I, I've had enough. I can't do it. I can't I can't be in a place and seeing my people die and what can I do? Where, where can I be? Um, and, and he also left, he left, um, illegally. He wanted to leave. He, his, his company said, you cannot go. He was home. He wasn't, uh, working. He was home and he wanted to leave. And they said, no, this is not something you can leave for. He was saying, I am broken. He said, I am broken and I want to go home. And they wouldn't let him go home. And he went home anyway. He said, I don't care what the consequences are. This is what my heart needs right now. And through that, um, through him making that bold move, um, him and uh, my other best friend, Chanel, they created an amazing program, Move NYC, which is really a call to action. They wanted to see people who look like us, who are from places like us, get into spaces where we are because they belong here. They belong here. And I want to, I'm jumping all over the place, but I want to talk about tokenism. I want to talk about just having only one person in the room. And, you know, when I was in college and auditioning for companies, one of the things I always looked at was the roster, who's in the company and how, if they have any people of color and how many. And if there was one person of color in the company, I wouldn't go. I would say, no, I'm not going to go there because they already have one person. And that was something in my mind. That wasn't a fact. That was just something that was like, if they have one person, I I'm sure I won't get in. So years later, now I'm here, I'm living here in another company and I'm dancing. And a friend of my, uh, a colleague of mine came, was auditioning and I inquired about it to someone and that person said, why do we need more? We already have you. We already have the beautiful you. And they said it in a way that was supposed to be endearing. They thought they were saying it in a way that was supposed to make me feel special, make me feel like I was wanted. 
make it made me feel as if like yeah i'm the one i never asked for that i never asked for that why would you say that there's only there's already one so you have proved my my thing that was in my head about looking for companies and saying okay there's already a person of color there i shouldn't go there you have proved to me that that is a fact at that level that is a problem i will also say though that um when i was first here the company that I was part of had uh four um, black dancers there were three men and one woman again only one woman um which is a problem we have so many amazing beautiful talented uh dancers black men and women who are ready to dust the stage off and dance for their lives and they're not even given a chance they're not even given an opportunity they're not even given the space and that is a problem as well um gosh i'm i'm all over the place and i'm trying to figure out how to um make this a moment because i i also think this is a moment of learning and this is a moment because i put myself and i i act the way i act and i'm professional in the way i am because it's not about me it's never been just about me when i leave these spaces when i leave this field there are going to be other, and trust me, there are more brown babies ready to come and blow the stage. And I have to make sure that I'm in a position where I am as professional as possible so that they even have an opportunity to be at the door. And this is something that white people do not ever have to think about. You do not have to think about the way that you act and how that will affect someone else. You do not have to think that. Um, so I find, I think it's a big responsibility and I take on that responsibility that we need, uh, to make sure that our next generation has the space to come into these places. Um, we can talk about, now I can go into another sphere and talk about choreographers. Where are the black choreographers in Europe? I mean, America, it's unexcusable. There should be more black choreographers period. There are many black choreographers, but why are they not being hired in these spaces? But at the same time, at the very same time, we have, this is not just in my company, but just when I observe other companies, I see the works. I see that there's a lot of influence in the African-American, the African diaspora. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, oh, I know that movement. I know that step. I know that, but you're white. So why can't black choreographers have that opportunity? Why is it that it has to be through the white gaze? And this goes to cultural appropriation. Um, when you don't give credit, when you don't acknowledge where it's coming from, uh, it's a problem. It's a big problem. Even to the fact that when I am in a rehearsal and we're working with a choreographer and that choreographer decides to play hip-hop music and they decide to play hip-hop music that has the infamous n-word in it and i have to sit there and i'm like wow okay do they actually think this is okay i i'm like do you actually think this is something that should be played out loud right now because they don't even they don't they don't they're not thinking that way they're just, ah, it's hip-hop music. This is dope. This is cool. This is fun. I get to twerk. I get to, you know, do all the things that I see on TV or I see online. But it, it, it makes me feel a certain way and makes me rough. And I don't want to be, and this is a position that I hate I have to be in because I am the only one. I don't want to be the police officer. I can't be a police officer while also trying to be an excellent um, artist for myself and continue to grow and prosper. I can't do it all. So at what point, and this is something that we can take away from this, especially um, uh, people who are not black, my white people, how do you start to call out things when you see it? When are you no longer going to stay silent because you're afraid to speak out? When is that gonna happen? Because that has to happen at some point or the other, because I won't be the last person and maybe for some people, especially my colleagues, I'm the first black person they've ever interacted with or worked with. 
But again, if you're going to go to the human aspect that we are all human, but then you treat one person in particular extremely different, and then you have no idea in the world why this person does not even want to have a conversation with you. Because for me, at a certain point, in order for me to continue, I have to see you not existing anymore because you do not see me exist. You are not even looking at me in a way that you say, I see you, I feel you, I hear you. You do not do that. You have not done that. So I'm saying do not write on your platforms that you are in solidarity for something when you have had a case study for three plus years and you have not even done the work. You have had ample opportunities to do the work and you have not done the work. So don't say, and then what that says to me on the flip side is that you will only come to solidarity when someone's dead. That's the only time that you will actually come to solidarity when someone is actually dead. I'm going to let that sink in. So, um, yeah, I think I'm at a place where I I don't, I was so frustrated through um, this experience, seeing another man die and I'm here and I want to help. I want to do something. I want to be active. I want to, I want to make, I want to help bring change. And um, I think a lot of people were hitting me up. Um, so a lot of white people were hitting me up saying, I'm here for you. If there's anything you need, please let me know. But then on the flip side, they would also ask me questions. They would ask me for resources. They would ask me for tools. They would ask me for how can I do this? Where can I do that? Um, how can I give here? And we're all using the same tools. We're all using social media to find the answers. So a quick Google search will help you along that way. Why, why is it that then I have to be the consultant? Why do I have to be the one who has to guide you and make you see what you need to do? Because you're not the only one hitting me up. There's at least 500 people, hitting, 500 people hitting me up on top of my family, on top of my friends, on top of everyone who is checking in on me, making sure I'm all right. Um, so do the research yourself. There's a lot of information out there. I've I'm a big Google search person. If there's a word I don't know, if there's a concept or a theme that I have no idea, I type that in on the Google and I'm doing my research. It's that easy. And this is why, uh, this is, technology is that way. We're in a space where we have everything at our fingertips. Utilize it. Don't come to me. Because I'm actually tired. I'm actually tired in real time. This isn't, uh, uh, what I wanted to say, um, what I th- think is also very important is, You get to say these things, type these things, and then you get to close your computer, turn off your phone, and go back and be with your normal programming. That that doesn't happen for me. There's no, this is my programming. There is no switching. There is no um, tuning in to something else and something else and something else. I will always be a black man. I will always be here, and you will always see me that way. Um, and that's just a reality. So I don't get to tune out where you get to tune out. And that is white privilege. You get the opportunity to tune out. So uh, Nigel was saying this earlier, um, how one thing we can do is assume that, like we've been doing with coronavirus, assume that you have the virus. Assume that you, you need to wear this mask for protection. Uh, not for yourself, but protect other people. So if you assume that you are exerting your white privilege, you need to have that in your head constantly. And then you always need to go, okay, how do I find this and narrow How do I change this in a way that it is not me asserting my privilege? So one thing I will say again is when someone comes to you of color and they're, they're bringing to you a concern, they're bringing to you something and they're... I'm not, for me, I'm not using the language that they're treating me like this because I'm black. Because I already know that is, uh, um, that will easily be something that's deflected. That's easily something that someone will just say, no, it's not that. But this happens anyway. Um, instead of saying, no, that's not it. 
I think uh, it was something else. It's not that big of a deal. They're just jealous. They're childish. They're this, that, and the fourth. Why don't you just handle the situation at hand instead of saying it can't be that? There's no way that's the situation. You just handle it. You know, even if you don't feel that way, even if you disagree, I don't need to know how you feel. Because then you're putting yourself on top of how I feel and you're making yourself more important than me, even though I'm telling you my situation. So it's very important to just nip it in the butt, say, okay, I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. Or, you know, you don't have to yet. Yeah, just take, just do the work. Um, and like I was saying, you're late to the conversation. This is something that I've been dealing with and many people, sorry, I'm not reading because I'm just uh, trying to really go for it. And at the same time, I'm a very optimistic person. I'm, I love life. I love people. I, I love my black people. I love being there as a support system. And I'm sure my mom and my dad who are watching my sisters, they're probably like, they're probably going to kill me because there's many things that I have not shared with them because I didn't want them to worry for me. I did not want them to feel like, wow, my son, my brother is all the way over there crying every single night, not having an outlet, not having the support he needs to keep going. And that's happening in his workplace. It's, it's unacceptable. Um, even to the point where I'm silenced, even to the point where um, I did make a post about the white makeup situation and I, there was, I didn't know where else to go. And I was told that I had to take it down because it was um, in violation of the contract and I shouldn't be saying these things. Again, blaming me. But at no point was there a meeting that said, hey, Jamal, let me be clear. The person in charge did have a conversation with me, a heartfelt conversation with me. And um, there was a, it was just a series of misunderstandings and miscommunication which I, I will understand. But there was no point where the other people who were part of making my experience shitty that made me cry and crawl off stage, they never said, let's have a conversation with Jamal. Let's see where we can um, settle this and make this land. Um, even to the point today, there's now uh, someone who's here to work on diversity and the theater had a, I think, a diversity Zoom panel discussion. And there were two white women and two white men that were taking part in this diversity panel um, on Zoom. And I saw it on uh, social media. And, you know, I immediately had to reach out and I said, hey, <laughs> hey, I'm here. I have experience. I think I can help you out a bit. And then I was like, okay, let's get you in touch with the person. And then the conversation happened. But had I not reached out, you would, you're going to have a conversation about diversity where there is no diversity involved. There's, there is no diversity. You want to diversify the, the environment that we live in, but you're not calling upon the people who can actually help you make it happen. I don't know where that make. I don't know how that makes sense or where it makes sense or why it makes sense. Um, I will. I will just say that if we want to be active in making sure that Black Lives Matter, if we want to be active in making sure that we stand in solidarity, call it out. Call it out. Call it out for me. Call it out because I call it out. At a certain point, I get backlash. I get constant backlash. And it's to a point where I can no longer harness myself because I have to protect myself. I can no longer be the person who's always calling these things out. I can no longer do it. Um, and if you, you can, you can be a helpful hand. Um, and I think for those who are watching as well, really take time to think about what you could have possibly done to someone of color that might make them feel comfortable because I'm not the only one. I'm definitely not the only one. I know for a fact I'm not the only one. I'm seeing a lot of people on here who feel the exact same way. The exact and have probably worse situations happen. 
I'm just I'm just speaking out because there needs to be a conversation started because you people, um, white people have said that you are in solidarity now for the first time that I've seen. I've seen this happen globally. So I was like, oh, now you're in now you are in solidarity. Okay, great. Let's let's see how we can make this work. Let's see how we can make this an action, an activity, something that is constant, not something that is just something that's put on social media and then you get to turn it away. No, now you have to be accountable for what you are saying you want to do. Um, and I don't want an apology. Let, I, I'm not here to have an apology because I'm the, per, I'm the kind of person where if you have to apologize, that apology would have been the same energy you could have used to not do the thing in the first place. And especially those who have done it multiple times and continue to do it. Um, I'm not here for an apology. I don't need an apology. I do not want an apology. I just want you to do better for the future. Because as I said, the future is, they're coming. They are coming. And they are strong. They are more ill-equipped and prepared than I am. These young babies are... I call them babies because I know them since they're really young, but now they are young uh, men and women uh, who are coming up and they are ready. They are, they're, I mean, I work with them, especially in New York and I see them and in New York and in Barbados, um, they are ready, they're prepared and they're equipped. And I just want you to do better for them because you didn't do better for me because you weren't there for me. And I hope that um, in this short time, I was able to give something for people to, to chew on, to start a conversation about. I'm more than happy to continue this conversation because there's so many nuances and so many situations and so many isms um, that we can maybe uh, continue. Maybe you can try it on a new platform. Uh, maybe we can, I know everyone's over with Zoom, but maybe that's something that we can try as well so that we have that conversation going as well. Um, I'm nervous. I'm scared because, as I said, I'm still here. I still have to be here, um, even though I am leaving. This is my last season here. Um, I still have to be here until the season's over. So I'm not sure how what will happen, what the um, what will happen from here. But I do hope that there's change for the future because there, there, there can't be. I don't know what can be said to me right now that will make anything better or different, um, especially after it took this for me to say something. I don't want you to be reactionary. I want you to be proactive. And proactive will be for the future because they need it. It's important and it's critical. Um, I love you guys so much. Thank you. I'm sorry we lost Nigel. We love you so much, Nigel. I love you, love you so much. You have been my rock. You have been my support system. You have been such an inspiration for me. You have been my mentor, my best friend, my everything. And I'm sorry that we had technical issues that we couldn't be together and share this moment. Um, but I, I see you on here and I know that people, people know your heart and they know your truth. And that's the thing, they know the truth. So um, it's seven o'clock um, <laughs> here in Mannheim. My husband just got here after um, not seeing him for 95 days. So um, I'm going to go be with him now. And um, I love you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions or anything, I'm more than happy to ask, uh, answer your questions. Um, please let me know. Um, this, is, this is really about how can we do better. This is not about tearing down. This is about how can we do better? How can we actually in real time really, really and truly be truth to our word? And if we really want to say that all black lives do matter. How do we get more black bodies into these spaces where they deserve to be, where they, they deserve to be? So I thank you guys so much um, for um, being with me and um, I'll see you guys soon. Ciao.